Welcome to Raising the Bar, the one and only podcast that centers the lives and experiences of women of color while discussing legal issues and policies. We aim to inform, educate, and provide concrete tools to empower, expand, and raise the bar for our communities and ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome. Welcome to Raising the Bar with Iman. This is the sixth episode. I am hyped that you are still tuning in with me. Thank you so much for the support that I received since I started this in July. I received just tremendous support from, you know, listening, subscribing, buying t-shirts, all of that. Definitely appreciate it. Um, I receive a lot of good topics as well. So if you have any topics, please reach out to me, Iman, I-M-A-N at rtbpodcast.com. You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Play, Google, um, and the website is www.rtbpodcast.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at One RTB Podcast. So today we're going to talk about, I think, a problem that we don't talk about often when you you bring up the topic of mass incarceration, and that's women in prison and jails. Um, we've noticed, we've heard a lot in the news recently about just women being provided basic necessities like tampons and pads. But we're going to start a discussion by focusing on federal legislation um, that was introduced by Senators Warren and Booker. Um, and then we're going to talk about the... What's going on at the state level? Because honestly, y'all, while we're seeing a lot of decrease in the men, the amount of men that are being um, confined in jails, we're actually seeing an increase in many states on the, you know, just the increase of the amount of women in jail and how this, you know, in order to have true reform, true criminal justice reform, we cannot ignore the increased rates of women in, in prisons and jails in this country. But before we begin, we definitely want to start with an affirmation. And this affirmation, um, I recently lost a very close friend of mine. And I did want to, you know, grieving is a very um, difficult and it's a very difficult and unique process from person to person. But I, I saw this affirmation and it resonated with me. So give yourself permission to love your broken heart back together. Hidden in the pieces is the power to find peace, to find yourself. You are not damaged or defeated. You are whole even when you feel like half of yourself. Give your grief the space to grow. Give your hurt a place to heal. Be gentle, dear one. Be patient. And this is by Alex L. On Instagram, she goes by Alex underscore E-L-L-E. And this woman is phenomenal when it comes to words. And so, one, I want to thank you for that, um, Alex L, because it really helped me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not even for grieving. It's just being patient. And, and self-love starts with loving ourselves and just being forgiving ourselves and being patient with ourselves. So up next, uh, we will talk about, you know, women in jails and prisons. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll end with maybe some firm recommendations for what states and the federal system could do to... Um, to combat this problem. 
Okay, so in July of 2017, Senators Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren introduced the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. Uh, the act would require federal prisons to provide free quality sanitary napkins and tampons to female inmates, ban shackling them during pregnancy or placing them in solitary confinement. It would also require the Federal Bureau of Prisons to consider the location when placing an inmate. Because keep in mind, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you know, if you're in the federal system, you may have started out or you know, you may have lived in Minnesota, but you could do your time in New Jersey. And so the federal prison, federal prison system especially, um, tears up families, <laughs> even more so, you know what I mean? As far as, you know, your loved one, you know, serving their time nine states away. Um, and also this act would create policies that would make it easier for inmates to communicate with families, longer and more frequent visiting hours, allowing physical interactions between mother and children and not charging for phone calls. Um, and, you know, first of all, this is a federal legislation. It only impacts women in the federal system. And that would that's about 12,000 women in the federal prison system. Um, but keep in mind that this is not the majority of women that are held in jails and prisons. So this is about this will only impact about 10 percent. And so much of our conversation, even though I started with this federal legislation, which I think is it's a, a good start. Eh, it's an OK start. And I'm going to tell you why I think it's just an OK start. It doesn't impact the majority. It will not impact the majority of women behind bars. So let's go into, you know, just some stats, statistics or um, facts about the women in prison. So according to the sentencing project, between 1980 and 2014, the number of incarcerated women has increased more than 700 percent. We started out with 26,000 in 1980, and now we're up to 222,000 in 2014. And, you know, yes, the absolute number of men is greater than women. However, the rate of growth, and that's what we're going to talk about here, the rate of growth at which women are entering in, you know, entering into the criminal justice supervision has outpaced men by more than 50% between 1980 and 2014. So there are about 1.2 million women under the supervision of the criminal justice system. And what I mean by that is that includes women that are in prison, women that are in jails, women that are under probation and parole. You know, there are about 1.2 million women that's under the supervision of the criminal justice system. And States are driving this increased rate of incarceration for women. In about eight states, women's populations continue to grow while that of men's population are actually declining. Um, and the numbers I've seen, they um, start after 2009. You know, Michigan, while it reduced the number of men incarcerated in their state prisons, state prisons by 8%, between 2009 and 2015, it incarcerated 30% more women over the same period. Like, what, what's going on, right? In Texas, Texas cut, cut its men's population about, by about 6,000, but it increased its women population by about, by about 1,100. Idaho backfilled half of its prison beds that it emptied, you know, from decreasing its men's population by adding about 25% more women to its prisons. You know, so, you know, definitely, and I think, and we'll talk about 
when we talk about criminal justice reform, it seems that we're, we're forgetting or we're somehow ignoring that women are not benefiting from this. You know, and then, you know, when you when you get into race in 2014, the imprisonment rate for black women were twice the rate of imprisonment rate for white women. You know, women in state prisons are more likely than men to be incarcerated for drug and property offenses. About 24 percent of female prisoners have been convicted of a drug offense compared to 15 percent of their male counterparts. And 28% of women, um, incarcerated women, have been convicted of a property crime compared to 19% of the incarcerated, um, incarcerated men. And so, you know, the majority, like we said, the majority of women are charged with low-level offenses. And they tend to have a less extensive criminal history than their male counterparts. And so that begs the question, why? Like, what does this really mean? So, you know, while doing my research for this, I think a large part of the research that I saw was that, you know, a large reason, a major reason why we see this increased rate of women behind bars is because of the, the war on drugs and how it had a disparate, um, a, a disparate impact on women than men. You know what I mean? Like a lot of this, had it not been for the changes we saw in drug enforcement policies and practices, you know, and the stricter drug enforcement um, policies that we saw as a result of the war on drugs, that was the reason why a lot of women are behind bars to this day. Um, so we're going to, you know, get into that a little deeper. But, you know, once women are incarcerated, they have to deal with a, a system that was largely designed for men. And they have to deal with, you know, systems, practices, and policies that were not designed for them. And so when you talk about basic necessities, and, I, you know, I started with tampons and pads and just being denied basic necessities... Just one of the issues, you know, that we have with locking up women at the rate that we've seen over the past 20 years. And so let's get to, you know, let's start out with this discussion about just providing the basic necessities to women. Um, last summer, the Federal Bureau of Prisons announced that women in its facilities will be guaranteed free menstrual pads and tampons. Um, but like I said, this doesn't impact, it probably impacts maybe 10% of the total women that are in um, jails and prisons. And so when you talk about, you know, just providing women with the basic necessities, providing the majority of women behind bars with basic necessities, you need to have that, the conversation on the state level. And, you know, what's being done on the states? Frankly, not a lot. Um, we saw recently... The state of Maryland passed legislation to provide um, free access to menstrual products. Um, I think the state of Virginia passed um, similar legislation, and lawmakers in Alabama, Arizona, and Connecticut have introduced bills. In Arizona, they've actually tripled the amount of free sanitary napkins that are provided to inmates each month. Um, let's see. In Nebraska... They are providing tampons and tampons and pads um, free of charge, and they'll only charge inmates for name brand supplies. <laughs> uh, in 2016, New York became the first city to require free tampons and sanitary pads in correctional facilities, public schools, and homeless shelters. Um, but I, I also want to say, so this seems great, right? We hear all of these states that's enacting legislation to provide these women with, you know, basic necessities like a tampon, 
one, I don't know. And I, you know, I would love to hear whether or not this is actually being done reason why I say that is because we can't ignore the power structure between a correctional officer and an inmate. And so, you know, I applaud, you know, these state legislatures for doing this, but, you know, I, and I really hope that the, the legislation is being executed in the way that it, that it should. So that's, I'm gonna stop with that. So, yeah, so that's where we are, you know, as far as states passing legislation to require, you know, to provide basic necessities to women in prison or in women in jails. Um, and I think, you know, the, the federal legislation that I began with, it, you know, it's called the, what's the name? It's called the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. And when I think of dignity for any woman, especially women that are incarcerated, I think of more than tampons, right? And so it's definitely, you know, the, and the, of course, the federal legislation talks about more than tampons. It talks about, you know, allowing um, women to speak to their families more, being closer to their families. But I think that there still needs to be a conversation about why, how we got here in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, there's always been this huge push, you know, recently. There's been a recent huge push um, in decreasing the amount of people in prison and jails and frankly, under criminal justice supervision, right? Because we realize that we are, you know, we are locking people up and it's really not helping. So we need to do something else, right? That the population behind bars is just increasing. It was increasing to the point to where we realized it was not working. And if the goal, I, oftentimes I struggle with what, the goal of our criminal justice system is, is it, is it rehabilitation? Is it punitive? Like, I don't, I don't even think we know at this point, honestly, I think that our criminal justice system has been, you know, just compromised, frankly, with, you know, because anytime you have capitalism, which this country is, you know, it runs on capitalism and you have private actors. Um, I, I don't even think we know what the goal is at this point. But I think in order to truly to provide women with dignity is more than just um, the essence of this bill, right? It's, it's trying to figure out how we got here in the first place. It's realizing, especially if you talk about providing women with dignity, the first thing is not leaving them out of the mass incarceration conversation, right? It is acknowledging that while we're decreasing the number of men behind bars, in some states, we're increasing the amount of women behind bars, right? And I talked earlier about, you know, just certain states, what they're doing. But I think in, in, in order, when we have efforts to reverse mass incarceration, we need to focus on women and we need to have gender-specific gender policies in place that will focus on this increase of rate of women behind bars, right? Because, you know, I talked about the eight states, the eight states that reduced their male prison population while their female populations grew. And let me tell you something, you know, with this current administration and, you know, their kind of reverse on a lot of the war on drugs um, that we've seen for the past years, this is going to continue to be a problem. And we've seen that this has a disparate impact on women. 
especially women who are convicted for nonviolent drug-related crimes. And that's what we're seeing the majority of women behind bars are being convicted of, nonviolent drug-related crimes. And so we can't continue to have these reform discussions and not specifically, unapologetically and specifically address the fact that women, women are being, there are often a, a specific set of circumstances that result in a woman being, you know, um, convicted of a crime and placed in jail or prison. And we need to start having specific policies that address those things. And so women, you know, no longer should women be an afterthought of the mass car incarceration com um, conversation. And ignoring um, women in this conversation, honestly, it holds back progress. You know, and so when you think about women in prison, you know, women are more likely to enter prison with a history of abuse, trauma, and mental health problems. They face sexual abuse by correctional staff. Um, and they're more likely than men to experience serious psychological distress. Um, you know, women in prison are about 62% of women in prison are mothers of minor children and more likely than not, they're the primary caretaker. And so while I do definitely believe that incarcerating men and taking them from the family will have an impact on the family, especially the black family, I do believe that. But I also believe that it's a special circumstance when you take away the primary caretaker. So before, you know, before we raise, before we go to the raising the bar segment to talk about, I definitely want to uplift some advocacy organizations that have been in this space for years fighting on behalf of incarcerated women and girls. You know, I just want to say, you know, just about criminal justice reform, um, that there needs to be a specific conversation about women and girls behind bars. And, you know, definitely, you know, I think when we, a lot of people were talking about the tampon thing and we're talking about, and that's definitely, that, that is important. I could not imagine, and I don't even want to, it's not about me. I've never been in prison, so this ain't about me. But, and, and providing tampons and, you know, hell, basic health care, providing that behind jails is serious. But when we talk about the dignity of these women, I think we need a, a broader conversation than, you know, providing basic necessities, which they should get for free. Um, so, yeah. So up next, we're going to, you know, just uplift some advocacy organizations and just um, talk about things possibly that we could do to combat this. So there was a, a wonderful report that... Um, I found while researching this from prisonpolicy.org. And the title of the report is The Gender Divide, Tracking Women's State Prison Growth. And I think the report did a great job at just um, outlining or highlighting the fact that much of this increase or much of this growth is actually on the state level. And at the end of the report, they provided recommendations. And I'm not going to go through all of them. But I'm going to highlight some of them because I think that they were very good recommendations that need to be uplifted and people need to be aware of. And the first recommendation is to think about the reasons why women are, why women come in contact with the criminal justice system. And, you know, agencies must take a gender responsive approach to meet the needs of justice involved women. 
And what that means is what that means is considering the large amount of women whose experiences with trauma, substance abuse disorders, and mental health problems have led to their contact with the criminal justice system and start to develop alternatives to incarceration that would treat these underlying issues. You know, this policy change will more likely is more likely I'm sorry, is more appropriate for many women um, than actually being involved in the criminal justice system where the problems can often be exacerbated. So that's, you know, definitely one of the things that I wanted to uplift. You know, we need to start thinking about, you know, just one of the reasons, you know, substance abuse issues, um, dealing with domestic violence. Um, you know, we often see that that's a driver to why a woman may come in contact with the, you know, the criminal justice system. And if we start to think of ways in which we can handle these things besides, aside from locking a woman up, I think that that could possibly combat, you know, this issue. Another thing that, another, I think, um, solution or recommendation that we should focus on is the use of diversion strategies and programs at every possible stage. I think I read that a lot of the diversion programs are geared towards, are catered or geared towards uh, men. And so women can't take advantage of some of the diversion programs that you may have on the state level. And frankly, you know, even before we even get to the point of a diversion program, there are many ways in which, you know, the actors within the criminal justice um, arena could intervene. You know, there are many different um, chances or opportunities that, you know, actors, and when I say actors, I mean police, prosecutors, judges, have to redirect people um, away from the criminal justice um, system. You know, you talk about restorative justice. There are many different models that can be used to reduce the number of women that are coming in contact with um, the correctional system. And so, you know, I did say I was going to uplift many, there are many different organizations that are working on behalf of women and, you know, women and girls behind bars. And I wanted to take this time to uplift some of them. So the first one, um, I think they've just done great work. Um, it's the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. And, you know, their website is nationalcouncil.us. And they, they have done great work um, just empowering women and girls um, to, you know, transform their community. And um, I think it's a chapter-based system where, you know, they accomplish their goal, and I'm reading from their um, website, they accomplish their mission by providing a membership platform of technical support, complex coalition building, and comprehensive resources that assist local initiatives towards our shared goal of shifting from a criminal legal system to one based on human justice. And they actually have a conference, a Free Her National Conference, from September 28th to the 30th. And, you know, it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was actually one of the states that had, I think, the highest rate of women, um, incarcerated women, I believe. Oklahoma and I think Arizona was up there for just, um, yeah, the highest, uh, is the highest state incarceration rates, state incarceration rates for women was actually Oklahoma. Um, so definitely I know they're doing great work. Also the prison policy, there is an organization called the prison prison policy initiative, and they have a lot of great, they've done a lot of great 
um, research and released a lot, a lot of reports just on the disparity between men and women when it comes to the criminal justice system. And you know, they're long, the prison policy initiative is known for is known as a go-to source for timely, actionable data about the criminal justice system. You know, so again, I think you know when we have this conversation and we hear about you know mass incarceration, criminal justice reform, we hear about it a lot. And I just want to, you know, I'll keep saying it, don't forget women. Do not forget women. And I didn't even touch on girls in the criminal justice um, system. But don't forget us. Because in, don't because if we forget women, um, which we seem to be ignoring now, by the way, because, and I say that because of the increased rates of incarceration, then that's not progress. It's really not. You know, and, and don't allow, you know, states to say that they've increased, I'm sorry, they've decreased the number of men. But I want you all to ask about what about the rates of women? Because we're seeing it increasing. Um, so, yeah. So thank you for joining me for, you know, this episode. Um, I'll be back in two weeks. Um, I'll actually be on vacation, but I think I'm still going to drop a um I'll drop something before I leave. I think so. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for the support. Again, um, please, 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 please subscribe. Subscribe to Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, rate. Please email me if you have any feedback. Um, I definitely, I listen to it all. Constructive, bad, good, all. And I take it all in. And I try each every other week to provide you with something that, you know, at least you can learn one thing or if it, you know, causes you to act or do something for another person that's, you know, I've done my job with this podcast. So thank you and stay blessed. <laughs>